In a New York minute, Ooh. Ooh. anything can change. Hi, and welcome to What the Phalange, the podcast where we watch every episode of Friends, discuss it, deconstruct it, and fan over it one episode at a time. My name is Emily, pronouns she and her. And my name is Quinn, pronouns easier or they, them. This week, we're talking about season one, episode 17, the one with two parts, part two, aired February 23rd, 1995, which is the same day as the last episode because both parts were originally aired on the same day together. Written by Marta Kaufman and David Crane and directed by Michael Limbeck. In this episode, the Ursula and Joey plot continues. It's Phoebe and Ursula's birthday. Rather than choosing to spend the evening celebrating at Phoebe's surprise party, Joey decides to spend the evening with Ursula, only to be ghosted, leaving Phoebe to fill in and let Joey down easy. Meanwhile, Rachel's twisted ankle from the last episode brings her to the emergency room, where she and Monica participate in insurance fraud. They return to the scene of the crime, as Monica puts it, when they invite the doctors, the cute doctors who treated them, over for dinner. Lastly, Ross seeks emotional support from Chandler, Joey, and his dad as he processes the fact that he's going to be a father, while realizing the ways in which he already cares for his monkey Marcel like a father. I have so much to say about that. I have issues with Marcel. <laughs> you love Marcel. You always want to talk about Marcel. Is that how it comes across? You always want to talk about the monkey. <laughs> yeah, because it's annoying that it exists in the in the show. Oh, okay. I just, like, don't understand the purpose of Marcel. And, like... They totally brought Marcel in as a way to show Ross taking care of something in preparation for him having a baby. Like, I just think the execution of the whole scenario is just really weird. You know, like, he shows up and... Okay, you know what? I think we should put this on hold so that our, you know, intro music can play. (laughs) Before we begin... Don't forget that we are currently partnered with Buzzsprout if you want to start your own podcast or Instacart if you want to deliver groceries right to your door. And you can find our affiliate links for either of those in the show notes or the description box below. And also a big shout out and thank you to Keely for becoming our new and latest Smelly Cat Patron subscriber. We have now sent out stickers to the patrons who are... Uh, following us on that level or supporting us on that level. So look out for those. Let's go into our cold open. Wait, no. First of all, let's talk about like for initial impressions uh, yeah, of it yeah, all. Yeah. I forgot. I always forget to do that. Okay. Um, my initial impressions of this episode is that George Clooney was cute in the 90s, <laughs> but not as cute as Phoebe and Joey's relationship. That's my first impression. I guess my first impressions is that I continuously take issue to Marcel. I want to point out again that Chandler and Miss Bookbinder have not been mentioned that scenario at all. We've just erased that from history. You know, I didn't really prepare for this. To be honest, okay, I guess I was thinking about this right before we started this episode. Is that like last week there was like a lot to the episode. This week a lot less. Mm -hmm. Um, I just don't. As much as I enjoy these episodes, I just don't feel very, like, 
riveted by them. Yeah. You know, I think that there's like a couple of sequences that I find like particularly funny. Um, and I'm not saying that the show itself isn't funny. I just, I'm not like inspired by this, these episodes. Yeah. These two episodes, um, are pretty meh to me. Like they don't stand out in my mind as like good friends episodes. Is there three things that you want to talk about this episode? I want to talk about insurance fraud. I want to talk about the ethics of healthcare practitioners dating their patients and i want to talk about chickpeas i didn't really put three things down i wrote that i wanted to talk about medicare for all for our our u.s listeners i want to talk about friendship and i kind of want to talk about like men supporting men those are good topics okay so So, cold cold open open. which doesn't feel at all like a cold open in this episode because it really just isn't a cold open on netflix it is yeah on netflix it is but it doesn't feel like one because i mean like if anything it almost feels like the last like scene of the last episode where rachel's falling off the balcony feels more like a cold open than this here, you know? That's true, yeah. So it definitely has a different feel. And on the DVD, the two episodes just merge one right into the other. So it's not two split episodes. It's just one long 48-minute episode. So I want to talk about the woman who is at the admissions desk of the emergency room. Sweet. So her name is Elena Reed Hall. She is the star of a hit... No, she's not the star. She's one of the stars in the hit show... 227 or 227 which was a show from 1985 till 1990 that's why i don't i was like i don't know this show it's not a hit show now she also was in sesame street she played olivia in sesame street for quite a long time anyways so she the reason why i want to bring her up is because i went down a little rabbit hole of research beautiful research rabbit hole. Emily did a lot more research for this episode than I did. Um, but it, I don't know, like, it's not anything relevant to, like, the main point. It's like, it brought me to one thing that brought me to one thing that brought me to one thing. Wikipedia decided to tell me that black sitcoms were pretty huge in the 1980s, especially in the States. This is all, like, mostly to do with the States. Like, with Living Single, like we mentioned, this show 227, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, just a bunch of different uh, sitcoms. But Basically, when Friends actually came to be, the popularity of black sitcoms started going down. Are you talking about how, like, Warner Brothers basically just started backing Friends over, like, Living Single, essentially? Yeah. Basically, what I what I learned is just the fact that Friends kind of was the stop of popularity in black sitcoms. So a lot of black sitcoms stopped being popular after Friends gained so much popularity. People... Basically, both white and black viewers were watching black sitcoms. But then Friends came along and the majority of the w- of white folks who were watching black sitcoms moved over to Friends and other white, like Seinfeld, basically cast that were predominantly white. Right. Meanwhile, black sitcoms actually were able to continue because despite the fact that they're white viewership went down they had enough people watching it that they could still continue airing but then by the late 90s they stopped being in popularity and a lot of activists basically felt that this was another evidence of basically systemic racism again and the ways in which the media affects our understanding of black families because black sitcoms was like a way in which black people could have identities and families outside of just being like comedy relief on white shows and white movies you know because Mm -hmm. a lot of the ways in which 
black comedy started was specifically along the lines of like white people dressing up like putting on blackface and basically right. making fun of black people and so black sitcoms instead was like the reversal of that it was like no this is our identities we're kind of like reclaiming this identity and we're gonna have our own comedic understanding in a way for other people to relate to it right and then there's frustrations and the fact that it's changed to be like mostly white sitcoms that we watch with like the occasional person of color that shows up in it mm-hmm. because now it's the view of black people on television through the lens of white people versus through the lens of black people. Do you know what I mean? Really interesting. Anyways, all that to say, Elena Reed Hall, she was a star on the hit show 227. So yeah, so we're in the cold open and Rachel is basically realizing that she does not have insurance. Um, doesn't really understand how the whole process works, I guess. Assuming that she was under her parents' insurance up until she left the nest and cut up all her credit cards. Yeah, and also on the DVD version... She also thinks that Blistex, the lip chap, she puts down as one of her medications that she's currently taking. Another portrayal of of Rachel just being very naive and not quite understanding how to exist as, like, an independent adult. Mm -hmm. And so then finding out that, like, she doesn't have health insurance and that means that, you know, this is going to cost a couple hundred dollars. At the very least. So they decide to commit insurance fraud together. I do want to say, Rachel definitely peer pressured Monica into committing insurance fraud. Yeah. I don't know. I don't particularly want to, like, pick that apart. Monica is also responsible. Of course, Monica's responsible. She um, decided to do it in the end. But I think, like, like they're both mad at each other, basically, throughout the entire episode. And I think that that plays a role in it. The fact that, like, Monica's, like, upset that this was something that kind of Rachel, quote unquote, like, roped her into, you know? Yeah. Okay, I've changed my mind. Let's do the Monica-Rachel story, and then we'll do whatever story comes next. Because I think that that, it'll just make most sense if we just go through the entire thing. Uh, So they're in the hospital room, I guess, and two doctors walk in. Which, by the way, what kind of hospital sends two doctors in for one patient? just doesn't make any sense. Maybe this is private healthcare. I mean, it could. No, it's not. It, it could be like an educational hospital and like could have been a resident, internet. you know, mm-hmm. like the younger guy could have been the resident and then George Clooney could have been, I assume because he's older. George Clooney was like not old in that though. I think they were both cute, young. I mean, George Clooney was considered young at that time. Yeah, I think so. No, it was like 25 years ago. No, I mean, it's very possible, but I just don't see him that way. He was 20, no, 34, 34. Right. Yeah. Okay. The other guy looked pretty, pretty boy faced. Yeah. Which, okay. So interesting. I forget the name of the other actor. Do you know him? Uh, We can pull it up. His name is Noah Weil. Yeah. And so Noah, Noah Weil was, I think, one of the main doctors on... ER, the show, for well, a period of time. Really? Because George Clooney was also a main doctor on the oh, show ER go. at there the same go. time. So that's like... That's probably why just they like, did it. I think it's yeah. kind of like a low-key crossover that they were doing. But they, they it's different doctor names. Like, right. they play different okay. doctor names. But yeah, that's that's funny. But I especially... You're right, he is younger. He's a whole 10 years younger. He's 24. Okay, but I especially find this funny because down the line, okay, not not going to give any spoilers, so I'm going to like work around this, but Joey plays a doctor on a TV show, right? Oh. For an extended period of time. And then when he's looking for other work at another period of time in the show, he's like, I have lots of experience playing a doctor. I, will have, I have experience in medical acting. <laughs> and, and so like... 
and is like trying to get jobs or turn other parts into like medical parts because that's what he has experience in. And I just find this particularly funny that they it's took like, two actors who were playing doctors on one show and then transferred them over and make true. them play doctors on this show. That's really funny. <laughs> Maybe it's actually a thing, guys. <laughs> medical acting. Um, okay, so let's talk about how weird and creepy it would be if your doctor hit on you. Okay, so first of all, we'll make the argument here that Rachel was the one that, or Rachel as Monica, or Monica as Rachel, anyway, whatever. But right. <laughs> that the patient actually hit on them because she was the one that asked them yeah, aren't out, you a right? Little cute? Yeah, you're right. Yes, she does ask them out. Yeah, yeah, I mean, not only, she, yeah, she says, like, that they're cute, but then in the next scene when they're talking, Monica says that Rachel asked them right. out to dinner. And they say yes. Um, so just to be straightforward, that that is illegal. Like, I mean, maybe, I, I don't know, I guess I could imagine, I didn't look this up, but maybe there was a different regulations in the states in the 90s, mid-90s. You cannot date your patients. That's just fact. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't know if there's maybe a small workaround with the fact that, like, it's an ER. It's an ER. So as soon as they've left, they are no longer your patients. But I feel like... So, okay, for myself as a massage therapist, how it works is that if I see someone as a patient slash client... Can you can call I, your people patients? Yeah, it, we're, it's like either or for us. Okay. And usually it's like recommended that you choose depending on like what place setting you're in. So if you're like... Okay. At a spa, probably more client if you're at a clinic patient. Yeah, that's so not a thing in Quebec. Yeah, that's not a thing. Okay, yeah. So I'm specifically an Ontario-trained registered healthcare practitioner as a massage therapist. And it's so it's a regulated profession here, and it, and it falls under similar regulations as, like, nurses and doctors and physios and uh, chiropractors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the laws around that are if you treat a client, um, you have to wait a year and a day before you can have a sexual relation with that client. A year and a day. I think it's just like, it has to be over a year, essentially. Right. Okay. Uh, if you don't, well, you can be sued for sexual assault and you can lose your ability to practice ever again. So what I was going to say that Monica and Rachel could do is that they just sleep with the doctors immediately. And then they can tell them that they have committed insurance fraud. And then everyone is even. They all have something against each other. And they can all date. And they can all get, be honest and live happily ever after. Sure. That's my solution. <laughs> all right. But I don't know if I want Rachel to end up happily ever after with George Clooney. Okay. But why? I don't um, know if he's right for her because he's dating her. And I don't know. I, just, I don't know. It feels weird. But, like, to be fair, it's not George Clooney she's dating. It's Dr. Dr. Clooney. <laughs> name of the episode i don't know it's so not relevant she just keeps referring to them as doctors doctors who are cute cute doctors <laughs> okay cute doctor what one cute doctor two. Oh, dr michael mitchell okay um, so now they're in monica's apartment let's keep going and they've um they've invited these these boys over i don't know why i just wanted to call them boys these doctors over monica is wearing the outfit in which she won best outfit for the record she's wearing that like black kind of it's a black t-shirt and then she's got like a gray right. skirt and black tights underneath. Right. So I I personally think this is so so silly. Like, what was their plan here? Like they just they just straight up did not have a plan. And I think Monica was so right the whole time where she was like, this doesn't make any sense. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Because Rachel's like, I think we should just tell them. And Monica's like, 
Why? Why would you do that? And also, I mean, it shows again Rachel's naivety in the situation. But also what she's asking of Monica is extremely unfair. Because not only did she just ask Monica to commit insurance fraud, but also like if they are caught, Monica's the one that will mostly pay the consequences of this, not Rachel. So Mm -hmm. why, like what she's now asking of Monica is just so absurd. And I don't actually know what like the cost of insurance fraud or like the consequences of insurance fraud are in the U S jail for insurance fraud. Yeah, no, exactly. But I was going to say like in Canada benefits fraud for anybody who's listening outside of Canada, we have kind of like universal healthcare ish essentially where there's um, like dental and physio and massage therapy, all that is not covered. So you have to either get benefits through work or you have to pay into benefits on your own. But with doing fraud just on that level, you can lose your job that your benefits are attached to. You can basically get a criminal record. You can have the inability to ever get insurance again. Uh, you can you can also go to jail. And I could imagine that in the States, it's either at least equal, if not worse. Yeah, I'm I'm reading about a like minimum a thousand dollar fine, all the way from up to one year in jail to twenty five years in jail, depending on what the the thing is that you do. Obviously, I, like I don't think this would have caused them to go to jail for twenty five years. <laughs> no, but the thing is, is that they would probably like Monica would definitely get a record for it because essentially, like a insurance companies have giant lobbyists. Um, oh, they yeah. make so much money, and you know, as much as they are willing to rip everyone else off they really want to know if anyone is going to rip them off so that they can blacklist them so that they can't you know get insurance ever again it's just like pretty absurd but honestly on a totally separate unrelated note you should register to vote and vote for someone who's going to give medicare for all because that's really important yeah and one of the ways in which you could minimize racial disparity in the united states exactly oh Yeah. Snuck that in there. Sneak attack. (laughs) Hashtag vote. (laughs) Um, I think by the time this one comes out, there'll still be a little bit of time to register in certain areas. So if you have forgotten to register, please register today. So it's like essentially what Rachel is asking Monica. Clearly she has no idea what she's asking Monica to do. And then it turns into whatever it is that ensues. (laughs) Yeah. Which is like, like you said, like, what was their plan? Yeah. Like, like, okay. First of all, I don't understand why they decide to take on each other's personality and each other's character. Like, it's not, it's like. Just use each other's names. You guys just, yeah, you just change names. It's not like you had to write a paper about your entire identity. I know. You just need to use the exact same thing about your personality and everything and just switch your names. But like. And at first I thought it was because they were like trying to insult each other like you eventually end up seeing. But Rachel's the first one to say it. She was like, oh yeah, I've lived in this apartment for six years and like Rachel just moved in a year ago when yeah, she should have just said I moved in a year ago. Like I don't understand why she had to take on Monica as a whole. Like how is that grounds for a sustainable relationship with these cute doctors? Like none of this was... Like, this is a terrible plan. They also, have... I'm realizing, like, how, like, annoyed and upset we are by the situation. <laughs> no, like, they didn't even, they didn't think, they didn't think it through. They didn't. They did not think it through. It's, it's absurd. And I think that this is, like, the type of situational comedy that's mostly harmless and is probably hilarious. Yeah, this you is know? great. This is, this I'm, is, I'm all for this. This yeah. is, like, 
ridiculous. Yeah. And like George Clooney and the other guy there, they have this like weird moment where they're like, oh my God, what did we decide to do? Like, why did we do this? And then George Clooney gives the best line of the episode, which is they're like trying to make, you know, trying to say anything to change the subject. George Clooney is like, or whatever, Noah, whatever his name is, the other doctor is like, cute doctor number one says, this is great. This hummus um, is great. And then George Clooney says, God bless a chickpea, which is such a good line. Oh, also again, they make fun of Monica being fat. Um, I also think it's hilarious how he answers their phone. You know, he just picks it up. I want to ask you the results of our poll. How many of our... No, zero. Zero No one has slept in their... Nope. Oh my God, really? Have you ever had sex in your parents' bed? The answer is 100% no. Wow. I know someone who slept on their parents' bed. No one in this room. Wait, slept? Had sex in their parents' bed. Okay. That that makes... Okay, yeah. (laughs) Very different. Very, very when different. we were three, we slept in our parents' bed. <laughs> so let's head on over, swing on, pivot to Joey and Ursula. Pivot. So it's Phoebe's birthday. Joey is having a hard time understanding that twins are born on the same day and therefore celebrate <laughs> their birthday on the same day. Oh my God. Um, and Joey says this line and I really do not like it. So they're sitting in Central Perk and Joey's like, oh, well, like, you know, I'm not going to go to Phoebe's thing. Ursula's really important to me. Like, I want to prioritize this relationship. Or he says it in a different way. But, um, and then he says, he says, if Phoebe's my friend, hopefully she'll understand. And that's just not fair. I don't know if you can just pull that line. Like, you can't expect friends to just, like, be okay with all the actions that you do just because they're your friend. Like, that's not how friendship works, right? You have to, like, be comfortable and trust your friends that they'll, like, forgive you for things if you do harm that you didn't mean to do but he's like after he even finds out that it's Phoebe's birthday like he still kind of does this intentional harm Mm -hmm. but it's hard to say too because clearly he made all these plans for Ursula and then forgot about Phoebe's birthday so I don't really understand like how that came to be like did he just completely forget that Phoebe was having a birthday altogether and made these plans with Ursula or did he know Phoebe was having a birthday and still made these plans with Ursula I have this question of like is it valid because Joey forgot it was Phoebe's birthday but then I was also like but is it valid that Joey forgot it was Phoebe's birthday. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like one of his (laughs) his closest friends, one of his closest friends. And like clearly all of them would have been talking about this surprise party. It's not like they threw it together overnight. Like let's say I started dating someone who had the same birthday as you. It's a great birthday. August 9th, 1993. If you want to send me something on my birthday, you can. (laughs) (laughs) I think that in a situation outside of this one, there is definitely a lot of room for navigating and compromising and maybe Phoebe having to like understand that Joey is trying to build the relationship with someone that's important to him. Mm -hmm. But this is not just anyone. This is like someone that she specifically has conflict around him dating that this person was primarily like, it's primarily her sister, you know, like we have to take into consideration the relationships between people. And there is a, a more pertinent connection there between Phoebe and Ursula than there is between Joey and Ursula. It, it, it is weird because it isn't just a matter of picking your girlfriend or your friend to celebrate their birthday with. It's a matter of like recognizing the kind of heaviness to the relationship between Phoebe and Ursula 
and recognizing what his actions here would mean to Phoebe. But I don't know if she ever expresses to Joey in the end. Right, because last episode we ended off with her about to go. About to go. I think at this point though, she has expressed that there is issue there. Mm -hmm. You know, in that that moment in the kitchen in the last episode where she's like, maybe it's not okay anymore. Yeah. Um, Like, I think it's pretty clear that there's at the very least tension, if not conflict. And the thing is that Joey, does. it doesn't even look like he tries to find a compromise or even approaches Phoebe in a way that can, like, explain to her the situation. Yeah. You know, which maybe is hard because it's a surprise birthday. You're not going to be like, hey, I'm not going to be at your surprise birthday party. Mm -hmm. Um, Just FYI. (laughs) Sorry, I think I'm funny. You're right. It doesn't work that way. Um, and maybe that's why it was written that way, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's, it's clear that Joey doesn't make any compromises in it. And it's just like very obvious that like Joey can be a great friend, but then when it comes to sex, he's very selfish. The end part of this episode, I think is really, really nice. Phoebe ends up finding out that Joey, um, was ditched, was ghosted basically by Ursula. She never showed up to his date. Um, which is like really horrible. And then so Phoebe goes over to Rifts to talk to Ursula. I just want to say though, first, like how Phoebe, at first she's really snarky about it, but then the camera zooms in on her. And you can tell that, like, again, going back to what we talked about in the last episode, that fear being there with her story of her sister stealing away her boyfriend Mm. that was her best friend. And then when her sister screwed over this guy, then he didn't even want to see her anymore. And I'm sure... Oh, interesting. I didn't think of it like that. Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah. I definitely, like, feel like that's where she's coming from. And her motive of trying to, like, then either get Ursula to break up with Joey amicably and be kind to him. So she she causes the least amount of, like, trauma and damage to Joey and then decides to do it herself. I don't know. I feel like you're basically implying that her intentions here are, like a little selfish than you're saying. But I personally think that Phoebe is like being a hundred percent selfless here. Like she really does not like Ursula and yet she's going to see Ursula to be like, Hey, what's going on? Like you need to treat, you know, Joey better basically. I mean, I don't, See it as 100% selfish. I think both can be true, right? When she talks about her ex best friend slash boyfriend, she talks about how much he was hurt. Right. And you know, we know Phoebe's character. I mean, she genuinely loves her friends. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's like she knows how much pain Ursula has the ability to cause the people that she loves, like yeah. including the pain that Ursula has caused Phoebe. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's like twofold in that, like, from a perspective of not wanting to lose this friend mm-hmm. because of what her experience is in the past. And I'm sure that that is part of the motive, but I do also genuinely believe that there's an aspect that she knows how much pain yeah. that Ursula can cause. And she doesn't wish that on Joey yeah. in any way. Oh, that's so sad. It's also like, it's weird because I feel as though Ursula, like, I don't know, I, I guess the way in which like Phoebe describes Ursula to the audience and the way the audience gets to see Ursula, like, I feel they, they're very disconnected. Like, Ursula just, to me, seems like very aloof, kind of flaky, kind of lost in her own world. But I don't necessarily think she comes off as, like, 
inherently vindictive in the show. I don't think she has to be vindictive though, to be exceedingly selfish and willing to walk all over the people around her to get whatever she wants. And then is flaky almost as like a self-defense mechanism because you can never ask her a direct question or get a direct answer out of her. Therefore cannot be held accountable to anything. She doesn't feel like a real character. Like no, she's, no, she definitely she's doesn't. She's very exaggerated. She's very one dimensional. And I think that that's that one dimensional aspect. I don't understand how Joey could be into her. Right. When Joey in this last scene is like, but what about the things you said under the bridge? Mm-hmm. And then you're, you're kind of like, Ursula could string together words that yeah, and meant that's what something I mean. to someone. Yeah. You're kind of like, what? <laughs> and, and that's what I mean. Like, I don't feel as though all the things that they talk about Ursula, like all the things that Phoebe says about Ursula, all the things that like Joey says about Ursula, like none of them feel like they're actually talking about the character that we see on the screen. She's kind of like the joke, like the very not realistic, like her character couldn't exist in real life kind of human. And I I, I almost find her obnoxious for that reason. Like I don't really like Ursula's character. I think it's kind of like, it's supposed to be making fun of itself. I, I personally find it like cheap humor. To be fair, they're basing it off of a very minor character in another TV show. Yeah. And I think what's just the most interesting part of it is that Phoebe does actually have a lot of Ursula's qualities. Yeah. Like her like flakiness to like get out of things or kind of to be a moving target to like not be held accountable to things. That's something that Phoebe does throughout all 10 seasons. And, or like comes off as like ditzy or whatnot. But then you kind of like hear other times where you realize that she's actually literally using it as a way to like basically screw with people. They just flush out her character in a way that they don't do with Ursula, obviously, because Ursula's only in it for like a couple of episodes here and there, you know? Yeah, exactly. All that to say that we get this very, very cute moment at the end of all that, um, in which Phoebe decides to show up to Central Park dressed as Ursula. Although, I don't know, like, is the audience supposed to think that that's Ursula? Well, Phoebe redoes her hair. Yeah, she does. She puts her hair in the braid. And then she uses... And she puts on the sweater. She puts on the sweater, which... This is the only time I've seen a very flat out mistake on fandom.com. What? In the fandom.com description, they describe it as the dress that Joey gave Ursula. And that Phoebe puts on the dress that Ursula gave her. But it's a sweater, guys. It's a sweater. sweater. (laughs) It's a really ugly sweater, too. Like, what were you thinking, Joey? Maybe she broke up with him because of the sweater. Yeah, you know. (laughs) So then Joey's sitting there all sad with his flower, doing the, like, she loves me, she loves me not. He's not actually saying the words, but he's clearly doing that. (laughs) And it's weird because it's the first time you you see um, Joey, like, having more of a dimensional character to his respect and love for women. I don't know. Right. I don't don't know if respect is the It's the first time that we see him into someone. Yeah. Yeah. Like caring about them genuinely. Yeah. Yeah. And then basically Joey's like, are you breaking up with me because I'm friends with Phoebe? And then Phoebe kind of wants to test him (laughs) and goes, um, this is something that Emily would do. Maybe. Um, and goes, you know, yes, it's totally about that. Um, and then Joey's like, okay, well I wouldn't, you know, I would never ditch Phoebe. And I really like that. Like he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't hesitate. No, he doesn't. Oh my god, I think he hesitates. And he Do we think her. it's valid, though, that Phoebe tests him in this way? I don't think so, no. I, I think, but it's also weird, because it's like... I <laughs> also, think, is it valid to dress up as your twin and 
and break up with your yeah no yeah, it's all that, very weird none scenario. of that was valid but it like she was clearly doing it she didn't expect to get caught and she was clearly doing it in a way that was like trying to let him down easy so he wouldn't be so hurt but if anything like the way that he then finds out like wouldn't he kind of have doubts and be like wait did Phoebe did Ursula actually want to break up with me or is Phoebe just coming here and breaking up with me because she doesn't like the fact that oh, I'm dating I never, Ursula. I never thought of that. Yeah. But anyways, clearly he thinks it's cute and genuine because there's that really adorable moment where he's like, Phoebe's? And they kiss. Like, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they kiss. kiss. They seem to have a great kiss. And Phoebe's reaction to the kiss is hilarious. Yeah. And then he finds out, okay, theory that I read out there that I don't necessarily agree, but I'm going to run by you. Okay. okay. Someone on a forum wrote that Joey was able to tell that it wasn't Ursula that he kissed. Does that mean that he has kissed both Ursula and Phoebe in the past? And that's why he was able to tell the difference? And does that mean that Joey possibly has had a relationship with Phoebe in the past? I don't think so. I think he just recognized that he wasn't kissing Ursula. Yeah, that's what I thought too. But I thought it was it was an interesting enough conspiracy to like right. mention here. Which and I think that I think that Phoebe and Joey's friendship is one of my favorite friendships on the show because in this way you could watch this and be like, "Oh my god, like I want them to get together." But I don't feel that way at the end of the episode. Like obviously I've seen all 10 seasons, mm-hmm. and so like I have different feelings based on the fact I've seen 10 seasons, but I don't find that the audience, like, that the writers are setting you up to be, like, rooting for them to get together. Mm-hmm. I think they're setting you up to root for their deep friendship. And yeah. I really like that. Like, I yeah. like that it, they're really, like, saying, like, look how important this friendship is to both of them and the lengths they'll go to preserve it. And, like, this kind of relationship is more important than the romantic love or, yeah. like, that Joey was having towards Ursula, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think it's cute. Yeah. They do that a lot in this show. Like, of course, we critique a lot of aspects of this show, but they really emphasize the importance of, like, chosen family and chosen friendships and um, and the ways in which, like, friendship can mean more than any form of romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. You know? Which is, like, again, for the queer community, it's it can be just such a, an amazing representation because a lot of sitcoms are centered around, family, like... like- yeah. yeah, like biological family. And for a lot of the queer community, chosen families are almost the forced solution for a lot of people because they get kicked out. Their family doesn't accept them. Uh, they need to find new families. And so, um, again, we don't know if David Crane was out. We have nothing. We know nothing about his history. Mm-hmm. But David Crane is gay or queer we don't know what he identifies as but i kind of just wonder if that's like part of it like how that was brought in because that's something that he saw within the queer community and with his group of friends maybe in particular now we have the chandler marcel story going back to the beginning of the episode basically the boys are all sitting in central park um and ross basically says this dream that he has um, (laughs) where they're playing football but the baby is the football. Mm-hmm. And then Chandler says that Ross is one of the most caring, most responsible men in North America <laughs> and therefore will make a good father. Okay, don't get me wrong. I've got my issues with Ross. I just really like this moment in which, like, the girls are not around. Ross is expressing how he's feeling emotionally, mm-hmm. how he's scared, he's worried. And both the men are there to support him. And, like, 
it's done with football references to make it manly, but it's, <laughs> it's like, they're both very much trying to support him and tell him you're going to make a great father. And I, and I feel as though any moment on television in which you see men supporting men is just so valuable. It's just valuable media content. Like it, and we need more of it. Yeah. And always. specifically, so men supporting men, especially in realms that are not highlighted as being super mask. Like when other men are feeling emotionally vulnerable, vulnerable. Yeah. And other men supporting them instead of kicking them down for being emotionally vulnerable or calling them weak or whatever. So then Ross not only seeks like the support from his friends, but he goes to have dinner with his dad. Mostly useless dad. (laughs) Mostly, but he's hilarious. His lines are just so good. What else could the sun dry? I wonder. Oh my God, it's so good. I don't think that line is in the Netflix version. Oh yeah, you're right. It's but he is DVD. talking about the sun-dried tomatoes. <laughs> a lot. In the um, yeah, his dad is like, I wasn't around a lot when you were growing up. Is this what this is about? And he's like, we could change that. It's so cute. And then he tells this really wonderful story of like him realizing, you know, he's a father when Ross grabbed his finger when he was one day old. And I think that you again see this moment where Ross appreciates the kindness of his father in this moment, the sensitivity and the vulnerability that his dad is showing him in this moment. I think. Right. Despite how mostly useless his dad is. <laughs> it's a very sweet story that like definitely moves Ross. Although I don't mean to be a buzzkill, but the grabbing the finger, it's a reflex. It's like, there's no, like, meaning to it other than it's one of the reflexes that they check on the baby and it's, like, they're designed for a certain, like, amount of survival. Like, in the same way when a kid is a certain age, you can do certain things and they'll do a very specific reaction and you actually track these to make sure that their nervous system is developing in a certain way. Wow, you are a buzzkill. <laughs> Sorry. I hope none of you out there have a newborn baby and Quinn just ruined your dreams. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't... Okay, just because it's not meaningful thing to the child... Doesn't mean it's mean, not meaningful to the parent. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because it's, it's this recognition that this thing, even if it is a survival instinct, is needs you. You know? And it's this relationship and this bond that's created, right? Yeah, exactly. If the baby knows the bond is there or not. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I guess later on, they're basically playing Scrabble? There's, yeah, like, in, there's quite a few good Scrabble moments that happen in this yeah, episode. Yeah, but also, like, the DVD version really expands on their Scrabble, ongoing Scrabble game. I find that in the Netflix version, it's very sort of, like, background. You more just, like, see them playing Scrabble yeah. in the background instead of watching TV like they normally do. Probably because the TV is in Spanish um, right now and they don't understand it. Um, I'll say in the DVD, it's it's just a lot more elaborate yeah, there's and a, funny. There's a great moment where in the DVD, Ross goes, Phoebe, scrunchy is not a word. And then Phoebe's like, crunchy is a word. If crunchy is a word, why isn't scrunch later on? This part I don't understand because Ma- Phoebe leaves... So does Monica. All four of them were supposed to be playing Scrabble. Like Chandler, Ross, um, Phoebe, and Monica were all playing Scrabble. And then they both leave. But then the next scene, Chandler and Ross are still playing Scrabble together. So did they start a new game? Okay, this is my theory. Okay. (laughs) They probably left and then... And left their tiles or what? Yeah, left their tiles and then... It didn't matter because by the time they got back, it would probably just be their turn again. Because Ross would take an hour to go and then Chandler would probably take a while for other reasons. And 
you know? Um, my theory is that they just, like, they just left. They didn't want to play Scrabble anymore, and the two of them just continued playing Scrabble. Yeah. I mean, that's also possible. Right. I think we're thinking too hard about this. Anyways, okay. So they play Scrabble, um, and... But then Chandler has that really great scenario. So I think that Chandler was onto something here. He starts describing, like, worst case scenario. He's like, okay, let's say you don't connect with your son, and you can't, and over time... It affects your relationship and every relationship your son ever has again. Which I find very interesting coming from Chandler because you kind of find out that that's sort of what happens to him in a that's sense. That's true, actually, yeah. You know? But he's like, you'd think I have a point, but I think that he is the point. Yeah. You know, like... You'll like, turn out like Chandler. You'll just turn out like... will turn out like Chandler. will turn out like Chandler. Um, and then... <laughs> Yeah, and then they find out that Marcel is choking. Ross says that it's a hairball, which I don't know if monkeys can have hairballs. I don't know. And then you get this excellent scene where they rush to the hospital. We were trying to take pictures of it, and it just goes too fast that you can't really take pictures of it. But they the they do such a good job like editing and cutting these scenes where it's yeah. like the the girls are already there, and then the boys come in, and then the girls ask what happened, and then they like the guys explain it, but then they realize, oh my god, what are you doing here? So they do this, like, double flip to see them again, and then there's the same thing happens with the doctors, who, or George Clooney, who comes back into the scene at the end of the, at the end of the episode. And it's just really well filmed, I think, in that case. The double back twice. Then Marcel's saved. Marcel's fine. Good to go. They believe he was trying to smell monkey with the Scrabble tiles, which is a great Chandler line. Very cute. And then again, you get the support from Chandler who like pats Ross on the back and he's like, do you feel like a father now? And Ch- Ross is like, no. Yeah, why? Ross hadn't even made that link and Chandler is the one there like, like helping him yeah. along to find that link. Yeah. Very cute. Like, look, you can be responsible. You can take care of something like... And then um, the monkey holds his fingers, and you get an excellent, excellent song pop up, which is in a New York minute. Ooh, everything, everything can change in the New York minute. And it is originally by Don Henley. Is that right? I don't know, but the, it's performed most famously by the Eagles. We get the last scene where they're speaking in Spanish, and the translation just doesn't quite makes sense but it could be just fandom not translating it properly or it's probably more likely that they filmed it not actually caring what they're saying in spanish yeah i tried to find out if they even offered friends in sap back then and i couldn't because there was just like too much i'd have to like filter through all like the merch and stuff that exists that's called friends sap mode and it's just like a bunch of like friends merch, but like the words in Spanish, like as like a like, fr- like there's a bunch of like amigos mugs, amigos shirts with like the dots in between. It exists. It's out there, guys. That's so cute. <laughs> it is really cute, but I could not find any of the information that I actually wanted. So if you know whether or not Friends was available in Spanish with Spanish dubbing while it was being played on TV, let us know with secondary audio programming, which we learned last week is what SAP stands for. Can we say what the last scene is? Oh, sure. Yeah. So Ross says, here you go. And he hands Monica Chinese takeout right. food box. Right. And then Monica says, who ordered General Tao chicken? And Chandler says, it could have been Ch- General Tao. I don't understand. I don't understand yeah, either. Yeah. <laughs> and then Rachel says, look, look, ugly naked guy is doing the hula hoop. And then Joey comes in and they all go, hi, hi Joey. Joey. <laughs> Joey goes, Hi, friends. <laughs> and Monica then says, 
Look, Ross, Marcel took the remote again, remote control. And Ross says, the funny thing is, he doesn't even like TV. And then they all laugh uproariously. Yep. That was terrible. <laughs> Considering we've talked about how good Friends writing is, the scene couldn't have been written by any of the writers. <laughs> yeah, the scene, the scene is bad. Like, who wrote this? <laughs> but it's supposed to be like, it's supposed to be dramatic, right? It's supposed to be like that over... Like, is it, is it supposed to be, like, telenovela style? I don't know. No. It's, it's like... Actually, I kind of wonder if it's kind of insulting because yeah, it's sort of like... Yeah, that's what I was wondering, too. Because it's almost like a kid's show, you know? Like, where it's like, hello, friends. Hello, Joey. Yeah, it's like... It's kind of making fun of itself and then, therefore, making fun of, like, Spanish television. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's it really weird. Like it, it doesn't sit great. We didn't really say a lot of things about the polls today. Give me two of your favorite poll answers. Has anyone ever thrown you a surprise party? It was pretty split. 56% said yes, 44% said no. And I'm picking this one because I've never been thrown a surprise party, and it's something that I've actually wanted every single year since the day I was born. And no one's ever thrown me one, so whatever. Good to know. No one's throwing anyone parties anymore, though. I like this one, too. Have you ever done anything illegal to help out a friend? 54% of our audience said yes. Okay. 46% said no. What I've also noticed with that one, though, is that a lot less people answered that question compared to all the other questions. Oh. Which I feel means that a lot more people would have put yes. But did not feel safe doing so. (laughs) Which is within your right, but I'm just saying... Just letting everyone get. Well, you have to let them know that it's within the right to not answer it. It is like no. We're not saying that to pressure you <laughs> into answering. Have you ever done anything illegal to help out a friend? I want to say yes. I feel like probably. I just like can't think of an example. Yeah, like probably nothing big. Not like I. I have done anything as big as like insurance fraud to no. help a friend, but like. Probably something small, yeah. But maybe not also because I'm so anxious and I hate breaking any rules ever. So maybe not. Maybe when I was drunk. Has a partner ever asked you to give up a friend for them? Mm, Yeah, 35% said yes. No, it hasn't happened to me as in being asked by a partner. But I know that I've had a couple of friends give up me for their partner. Wow. I know. You'd think that I was the center of some sort of drama. Sometimes you are. Great. I was just saying that to have you do a dramatic reaction back, but you didn't, so you ruined my point. <laughs> oh, it was, a, it was a test. I wouldn't do what Phoebe did. Okay, on that note. <laughs> you did do what Phoebe did. I on was that right. Note. That makes me feel so validated. Okay. And not like I was just being a jerk. Moving on. I think that's all the moving on. That's all the moving on. Announcement. We are going to be opening our Netflix watch party up to the public for one time only. So we're having an open Netflix watch party on November 2nd. Where we're going to watch... The one with the evil orthodontist. Ooh, evil orthodontist, folks. So the link will be posted um, about half an hour before the Netflix watch party starts on our public Patreon page. Yeah, so follow us on both Patreon and on Instagram to just make sure that you're going to be reminded to join in on us and so that we can have a giant party together. The second announcement is that I might not be here next week. Right, Emily might not be here next week. It might just be me talking to myself next week, which would be hilarious, maybe boring. I don't know. Let's find out. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Well, we don't know yet. 
We're going to figure it out. We also want to say, check out the poll results on Patreon every week. Make sure you're following us on Instagram so you can take part in our polls and our super cute, fun little things that we're posting. My name is Emily. You can find me on my website, emilybyoga.com or on my Instagram at emilybyoga. That's Emily with an I-E, not a Y. And you can find me, Quinn K. Brunet, either on Instagram or quinnkbrunet.com. So with that being said, keep deconstructing and diversifying the media Media you consume. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of What the Phalange. If you're picking up what we're putting down, please consider supporting us on Patreon, leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, and or sharing us with all of your friends on social media. You can find us at whatthephalangepodcast.com, email us at wtphalange at gmail.com, DM us on Twitter at WTPhalangePod or follow us on Instagram at WTPhalangePodcast. All links will be included in the show notes below. Want to get in touch with us each individually? You can find Emily on Twitter as EmilyB underscore underscore, and that's Emily with an I-E. And you can find Quinn at TheBasicNB on Instagram. Keep deconstructing and diversifying the media you consume.